new message. There's a club, the Dead Dads Club, and you can't be in it till you're in it. Well, you can try and understand, you can sympathize, but until you feel that loss. My dad died when I was 31. If you're listening, I'm really sorry you had to join the club. If you're wondering how to exist in a world where your dad doesn't, all I can say is that it never really changes. Whether it's your dad, mom, sibling, child, friend. I gave two eulogies this last year. One for my dad, the other for my grandma, about six months apart. I hate public speaking. It's not my thing. I'm the friend with the dead dad. I'm the wife and mom who hugs too often and long. The one who makes sure everyone around her knows they're loved. I say I love you often. So much so that my husband now responds with a "Mm mm-hmm. And my kids respond with, I know, mom. You see, I hate this meaningless conversation that we do so regularly. And honestly, I'd rather talk about the big things. I'd rather know what happened to you underneath those sad, sunken eyes than the ever-so-clever, what's wrong with you? Grief for me this last year has bled all over my social media. Grief is these tears that could make an ocean big enough to drown yourself in. But grief also is hot coffee while looking at a friend who holds you. Grief can look like laughter. It can look like school pickup lines, making dinner, all while the emotions inside of us burn. See, grief happens. There it is. And guess what? It's going to happen to you. This week is the start of Thanksgiving in America. But this week, for me, a year ago, I lost my father on Thanksgiving morning. This past November of 2018 was the start to something I never wanted to live beyond. My dad went into the hospital for what us family called maintenance surgery. His body over the last four years was failing him. Doctors always looked at my dad as a medical miracle. You know, a quadriplegic diabetic still living after 38 years in a wheelchair. But to me, he was my knight in shining armor who always prevailed. And 
Of course, it was because of my mother's tender loving care. My dad's maintenance surgery ended up in a downward spiral. I remember his last bronchoscopy. They weren't able to put him under general anesthesia. He would be awake, and we had to make sure we knew what he wanted and didn't want. He didn't want to be tricked. He wanted a DNR. My dad couldn't talk at this point, having a BiPAP on. So I told him, I whispered. I said, Dad, I still need you. So you fight today. Today you fight. And he looked at me with his all too kind eyes and he shook his head. He would fight. It was in the hall for the first time ever. I fell to my knees and prayed. He made it through that bronchoscopy and when it seemed to be that he was doing all right, I went up to him and I looked at him and I said, see dad, you did it. I knew you could do it. And slowly he looked to me and said, yeah, Faithy, but I'm so tired. And I looked to him and I said, I know daddy, I know. And with that, I couldn't ask him to fight again. Those next 24 hours were a blur. My dad was discharged on palliative care. It was being switched to hospice because before he left, we were told his kidneys were failing. I got a call from my mom while I was at work, just about to leave, saying, pick up his meds and meet at their house. And I was so confused. He was coming home? It was then that my mom gently told me he had signed the DNR. I arrived at my parents. It was the day before Thanksgiving. I sat alongside my aunt and family and they talked of having Thanksgiving here tomorrow. And I just looked at them and I told them, he's not gonna make it. I had this overwhelming feeling Everyone said, no, he's okay, he's home. And I just walked into my dad's room and sat with him as he laid there. He was feeling anxious, so we gave him some meds, and I sat there listening to his favorite show in the background. It was then he told me he couldn't breathe to go get mom, and the next 45 minutes led to a shit show. I gave him CPR with my mom while singing, staying alive, screaming at my mom to give him breaths between my compressions. Finally, the paramedics arrived. It felt like an eternity. He still had a heartbeat, but looked to be unconscious. And fast forward to the ER, he won't make it through the night. After not knowing what to do, my mom asked me. I said, we need to ask dad. I didn't know, I didn't didn't care if it looked like he was in a vegetative state and brain dead. So we asked and he said, he answered us, he said hospice. We phoned my grandparents to say their goodbyes and they told my dad it was okay. He could go home. And those last five hours were excruciating. I cried, I pleaded, and then I prayed for God to take him home. 
My dad waited as my husband walked through the doors. My husband said, when did he pass? And I looked at him and I said, right now. See, my dad was my everything in life. And I knew that my dad waited for the man who he knew could hold me through this wretched pain. I have to warn you, Brett, that I spoiled my daughter for the last 28 years. I mean, I spoiled the heck out of her. So this is what you're getting. Now, I didn't spoil her with money or material or jewelry. I spoiled her with undevoted time. And um, I always put her first. Um, And so, there were some ways that I spoiled her like this, and I thought I'd give you some examples of times when you might know how to do it. Picture yourself, and these are all true, by the way. Picture yourself just about ready to watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> and, and it's Montana and Rice, and you've been waiting for this. And Faith is about six years old, and she says, Daddy, I'm bored. <laughs> when you play a game with me, and I look at that little face, and I look at that little TV, and, the TV, and it's no brainer. I say, okay, baby. Turn the TV off, let's go play a game. And I say, what would you like to play? And she says, pretty, pretty princess. We experience grief in different ways. And it it doesn't have to be your dad who's the dead one. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your child. But we all have a person in life who we look to, who gives us a sense of being or a moral obligation to society, to who we are, who we want to be. For me, that person was my dad. I'll give you another example. There's just going to be a lot of them. <laughs> it's, uh, it's Sunday afternoon, you're driving to church, and you've got plans on reading the latest novel, Tom Clancy novel. The tooth lunch, you're heading out the door for the, with the book, looking at that shady tree, and Faith said, Dad, I'm bored. <laughs> Will you play a game with me? And I said, okay, Faith. And I looked at that little face, and sure enough, we're at the kitchen table playing. And I said, what would you like to play today, Faith? And she says, candy land. 
So I'm thinking, okay, this is good. No jewelry came out. <laughs> and we're into our third game, and I haven't won yet. And I'm thinking, okay, Reaver, you're a semi-intelligent adult man, and this six-year-old girl is beating you with a candy lamp. It's at that point that I realize Queen Frostini is better than me. Now, for all of you candy lamp aficionados, Queen Frostini is the winning card. And her spent. And somehow fate always finds that card. So on the one hand, I'm I'm like, well, at least you're not stupid. <laughs> but then on the other hand, I'm thinking, yeah, but the six-year-old girl has just fooled you for the last four years. <laughs> and then there's one more, and this is my best and my favorite. It's been a grueling day at work. You come home late. Donna and the kids have already eaten dinner. She's heating up my dinner. And I'm thinking that to myself, all I'm going to do tonight is turn that switch off of my brain, let it turn into vanilla pudding, and I'm going to stare at a wall for two hours. And as I switch that brain off and get ready to go into shutoff mode, I hear this little voice, Daddy, can you tell me a bedtime story? So I wheel into her bedroom. There she is, laying in her bed with her little pillow and her little blanket, and... He was for me. He would wheel back into my room and finish the story. He stayed alongside me through everything I put them through. I was not the best teenager. Let's just be realistic. I was adopted, and adopted kids sometimes go through these stages of anger, anxiety, acting out, and let me just tell you, I did all of them. Okay, 10 o'clock, the soup's not going to get to But bro, this is why I'm telling you these stories, because these were the simple things that it took to spoil me. It's funny that my dad says simple, because even now, me having two boys of my own who are 10 years old. You know, bedtime is something we do together and I tuck them in every single night and I give them prayers and usually that's the only time that they wanna see me is bedtime. And usually that's the only time that they tell all things in life, all emotions, all feelings. But I'll tell you, bedtime is not an easy thing. But this man, my dad, he did it, and he did it so well. And stories and attention. And so my hope and my wish is that you, like me, will turn the game off, close the book, uh, stay up a, a, an hour later, you know, to, to make her happy like that. And I guarantee you it'll be worth it. He guarantees it'll be worth it. But he was my dad, not my husband. My hope and my wish is that you, like me, will turn the game off, close the book, uh, stay up a, a, an hour later, you know, to, to make her happy like that. And I guarantee you it'll be worth it to see that, that look on her face, that smile. And now I've got one more story. Just one, <laughs> this, one, this one happened three months ago. And Cameron and Cashin came over, and I said, what would you guys like to do? 
three months ago, side note, really for me now is almost five years ago. And so I said, what game would you like to play? They said, war, like Caribbean war. And I'm thinking, okay, this is getting good. No more candy lane and blue frosting. So Yashin says, and Papa, let's play with two decks. And I'm thinking two decks. That's the eight aces, eight kings, eight queens, and um, and jokers, and four jokers. The jokers are the big dogs in our game. And then Karen says, Gaga, can you shuttle the cards for us? Because in our house we don't shuttle, we shuttle cards. And Gaga shuttled the cards, and she handed them to Cashin, and Cashin dealt out three hands, about 35 cards each, and after about four rounds, I'm down to six cards. And I think to myself, Reamer, you're an intelligent community. <laughs> and six-year-old boys are beating your pants off. And, and then I notice Cashin's holding a deck full of dog-eared jokers <laughs> and aces. And I thought, that apple does not fall for <laughs> Watching him and listening to him and seeing the man that he was, I can't say it doesn't hurt, but I can say it feels so good to be able to hear him and listen to our memories. He makes me want to be a better person. And I'm serious. He truly makes me want to live. But living is hard without him. Not having him there is hard. I can still love. I still do love. I love my kids. I love my husband. I love my mom. But he was such an asset to my being. And without him, I'm trying to find that piece of me again. My dad broke his neck in a diving accident when he was 23 years old on the chain of lakes. He would go on to tell me that his neck had to have been broken. I never understood that. I never understood how how someone could say that. He was a mechanic. He had this wonderful girlfriend. And he told me that God had to break his neck. Those are big words from a simple man in my life. But he told me he wasn't always this simple man with this great charisma and attitude. He told me that... He he had anger. He, he was mean. I even remember my aunt telling me that there was one time she was really scared that he was going to beat her up. To me, it's unfathomable, but he was that person at one point in time. My dad broke his neck and he had more time. He became more patient, loving. He told me that he would pray to God to fix him, to heal him. But over the course of time, he knew that God had healed him. And it wasn't the way that he had thought. 
or even desired, but it was more in the way of him becoming better. Just as he is. He would say he sought the Lord seeking a cure for his disability, that he would be comfortable on earth. But God gave him knowledge in knowing that he could serve God just as he was now. And it was because of his faith that he could overcome life's obstacles, whether they were physical or mental. And by doing so, my my dad was... He felt indebted to him. He said, I sincerely believe that I could never have been the representative of God's love and glory as effectively as I am today. And my parents, they married in November of 84. We just, we just were celebrating what would have been my mom's 35th anniversary. My dad would also say of my mom, Donna is more than a wife. She's my best friend and I thank God for her every day. See, my dad went back to school to get a communications degree and to pursue his writing. (laughs) My dad, he could write and storytell so well. And my mom, worked and was able to care for my dad as well and throughout life they leaned on each other and god see isn't this what all beautiful love stories are made of they adopted my brother and i not being able to have kids of their own a quadriplegic man but how could he care for these children See, a judge seriously asked my dad that question, and I'm sure my dad answered with a sweet disposition in a calming way. After all, that's who he is. He was a man that you wanted to sit down with. He was a man that you sought out in a room when you felt awkward or unsure of yourself or you were stuck in a conversation that you didn't want to be in. My dad was that person, not only for me, but for so many other people. So yeah, this last year has been really tough. And it wasn't just my dad who I lost. I also lost my grandmother, who was my mother's mom, and a family friend as well. And these were the people who showed up for every Thanksgiving that we ever had. But death sucks and it hurts and we all react to it differently. Not only did I lose all of these people, but when my dad passed and having only ever had a quadriplegic father, I lost the sense of his disability too. It was hard for me to ever realize my dad had a disability because everything he did, he did so well. I didn't look at him as a man with a disability. I looked at him as my father. But when he did pass away, I didn't have that peace anymore. He was gone, yes, but I was left with his chair, an empty chair 
where his body used to sit and be seated. So I'll leave you with some great advice from my mom. So today's the year. People ask, what are your plans? Not sure I know the protocol. I'm sure I can Google it. But I've decided to spend it with those who he loved most. Remembering, laughing, and crying. What I didn't expect this year, though, was the times of great joy would be the hardest. Billy's marriage to our miracle Megan, Hunter's first day of preschool. Our sweet, sweet Jameson. Watching Brett coach the boys as Faith argues with the 13-year-old referee on a bad call. Watching his favorite old movies with the boys and Hunter kissing every handicapped sign he sees. His life made such an indent in all of our lives, in everything we do and are. Only he could have shared these joys like I did. Oh, how I miss him. I took my ring off a few months ago, only because the stone fell out. It was hard, but it was also time to face that ugly word, widow. There is still a permanent indent in my ring finger where it was. This just symbolizes that he will have a permanent presence in the rest of all of our lives. He's been the love of my life since our first kiss at my back door and will be way after that last kiss on his cold cheek as I said goodbye. My friends and family have been amazing. You know who you are. But my God has been so, so faithful. He defends and looks after the widow. That's me. We all grieve differently, and that's okay. We all have stories, and I can't wait to hear yours.